If you have a copy of God's Word with you, either in print or on your phone or whatever else, would you hold it up right now and repeat with me? This is God's Word. I believe what it says is true. It teaches me how to know God and how to live for God. It has the power to change my life. Now take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. And while you're doing that, let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever seen the TV show American Greed? If you've seen that show, raise your hand. Okay, American Greed is a TV show that that comes on CNBC. It's, it's kind of a business show, a reality show that chronicles what people will do, how far they will go because of their greed. It tells about white-collar crime, financial crime. It tells about Ponzi schemes, identity thefts, all kind of things like that. For instance, one episode told the story about this dermatologist who, who did hundreds and hundreds of surgeries. He, he told the patients that they had skin cancer, and, and he would do the surgery to remove the spot, but yet they discovered that he wasn't removing skin cancers, he was removing freckles. Another episode chronicled the story of two elderly ladies who took in homeless people into their home, then they would take out insurance policies on them and make themselves the beneficiaries of that insurance policy. And then they would kill the people that they, they took in. Another episode told the story about these two guys that came up with this idea, miracle cars. And they really promoted this in their church and to churches. And the whole idea was that, that they were buying these cars in bulk and they were able to sell people at a phenomenal price these, these late model cars at incredible deals, but really the people weren't getting deals, and they raked in over $27 million. Now, probably there's no one in here this morning who would say, I struggle with that kind of greed. I'm that kind of person. But the truth of the matter is, each and every one of us, regardless of where we are and what stage of life we may find ourselves in, we probably struggle to some degree with greed. Maybe our greed has led us to, to fudge some numbers to cheat on our income tax. Maybe our greed has led us to, to hedge a little bit on, on our time card. Maybe our greed has led us to, to live stingy, self-centered lives rather than living generous lives. Maybe our greed has led us to, to spend much more than we can afford and, and rack up loads of debt. I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know what you're going through. But, but if you're like me, I imagine that regardless of where you are, you struggle with greed to some degree. And yet this is what Jesus said about greed. In Luke chapter 12, he said, guard against every kind of greed. Let me say that again. Guard against every kind of greed. Not just this major greed that we see on TV shows, but every kind of greed. The Apostle Paul said in Colossians chapter 3, a greedy person is an idolater. 
worshiping the things of this world. Now keep that in the back of your mind. A greedy person is an idolater. A greedy person is worshiping the gods of this world. And the truth of the matter is, our love for money is perhaps the number one thing that holds us back and keeps us from becoming the men and women that God has created us to be. But my prayer over the next four weeks is that we will discover that money is not a God. But money is rather a gift And if that gift is properly used, it can not only change us into the men and women that God created us to be, but God can use us to change the world. Now, as we begin our Generous Life series this morning, I want us to focus on a story that that every one of us are familiar with. If you ever went to Sunday school as a child, if you ever found yourself in vacation Bible school, you've heard this story. And you probably learned the story by learning this song. And I'm not going to sing the song. I'm going to say the song. But as, as you hear and you recognize, you say it with me. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And the Savior passed that way. And he looked up in the tree and said, Zacchaeus, You come down from that tree, for I'm going to your house today. I'm going to your house today. Now, we know the story. We sang the song when we were little kids in Bible school and and VBS. But the question is, do we know the truth behind the story? Because that story teaches us some incredible truths about what it means not only to be a follower of Jesus, but what it means to live a generous life. And so if your Bibles are open, I want you to follow along as we read, beginning in verse 1. Listen to what God's Word says. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region. And he had become very rich. He tried to get a good look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and and said, I will give you half my wealth to the poor, Lord. If, If I've cheated people in their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. Now, what I want to do is give you a statement that I believe teaches the truth of this story. And then what we're going to do is, is unpack that statement as we unpack the story. Now, here's the statement. A greedy man meets a grace-filled God and becomes a generous man. Now, let me say that again. This story teaches one truth. And it's this, a greedy man 
meets a grace-filled God, and he becomes a generous man. Now, let's start with the greedy man. And the greedy man was Zacchaeus. Now, the name Zacchaeus, it means clean. It means righteous. But Zacchaeus was, was anything but clean. He was anything but righteous. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. I heard a story about a, an owner of a local fitness club, and, and he put out this contest. And the contest was to see if anybody was stronger than him. And if anybody was stronger than him, he would give them $1,000. And this is the contest. He was going to take a lemon, he was going to cut it in half, and he was going to squeeze the lemon until he could get every drop of juice out of that lemon. And then he would give the lemon to, to whoever else took him up on his contest. And if they could get even one drop of juice out of that lemon, they won the contest. They would win the $1,000. And over time, lots of people came by. Construction workers, lumberjacks, weightlifters, bodybuilders, professional wrestlers. But no one, no one could get a single drop out of the lemon after that man squeezed it one day. The skinny, scrawny, short man came up, signed up for the contest. Everybody laughed. Well, the owner of the fitness club took the lemon, cut it in half, and he squeezed it with all of his might. I mean, it just looked ragged when he got through. After he got through, he handed it to that skinny, scrawny, short man who took it, put his hand around it, and squeezed. And lo and behold, six more drops of juice came out. Everyone was clapping and cheering, and they couldn't believe it. And the owner of the, the fitness shop said, so, so what do you do? Are you a weightlifter? Are, are you some kind of government spy? I mean, what have you done that, that you could squeeze more juice out of this lemon? This scrawny, short man looked at him with all seriousness and said, I work for the IRS. And that's how we feel, isn't it? I mean, when we think about the IRS, we think about people who are trying to get all of our money. Nobody likes tax collectors. Nobody likes the IRS. What do you call 25 IRS agents buried up to their chin in cement? Not enough cement. What's the difference between an IRS agent and a mosquito? One is a blood-sucking parasite. The other is an insect. Do you know why sharks won't attack tax collectors? Professional courtesy. Did you hear about the businessman? He was on his deathbed and he called his partner and said, When I die, I want my body cremated. I'm making you responsible to do it. And his partner said, Okay, but what do you want me to do with the ashes once you're cremated? He said, I want you to put them in an envelope, mail them to the IRS and say, Now you've got everything. I mean, nobody likes tax collectors. We feel like that we are robbed and robbed and robbed of our money, don't we? I mean, you take federal taxes and state taxes and Social Security taxes and gas taxes and sales taxes and property taxes and, and on and on and on. And in our day, in our day, we don't like the IRS. But you need to understand, back in that day, it was even worse Tax collectors 
were the most despised part of society. You see, a tax collector worked for the Roman government collecting taxes on the Jews. And so the Jews considered a, a tax collector a traitor. Jews put tax collectors in the same category as murderers, adulterers, robbers, and other sinners. As a matter of fact, Luke chapter 5, verse 30, Jesus is accused of eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners. In other words, they were the same category. One was as bad as the other. If you were a tax collector, you were just a filthy, no-good sinner. Now, tax collectors collected their money on commission basis. In other words, the Roman government would say, here's how much money we want from people. You can charge people whatever you want to to make your living. And most people, tax collectors, charged a lot. And so most tax collectors became very wealthy, taking advantage of people in Judea. Now, notice what it says about Zacchaeus. He wasn't just a tax collector. Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector in Jericho. Now, there were three tax regions in Judea. The most wealthy, the richest of all the reason, regions was Jericho. And Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector in Jericho. What that means is every other tax collector that was collecting money had to give some of their money to Zacchaeus. So Zacchaeus was making money by overcharging people, and then he was making money on other tax collectors that were overcharging people. He was at the top of the ladder. He was at the top of the pyramid, and because of that, we are told that he was very rich. He was stinking rich. I mean, he lived in the best house. He wore the best clothes. He ate the best food. He probably took vacations that everyone else just dreamed about. But in doing all of this, he was despised. He was hated. He had no friends. No one liked Zacchaeus. As a matter of fact, if someone could have killed Zacchaeus and got away with it, they would have killed him in a heartbeat. But they knew that if they killed Zacchaeus, the Roman government who protected Zacchaeus would be after them. And so here was Zacchaeus. He was very rich, but he was hated. Now, now what, what would cause a person to take a job where they were considered a traitor? What would cause a person to take a job where everyone else in society hated them? Only one thing. Money. Lots of it. The reason Zacchaeus was a tax collector because, is because he was raking in money. You see, Zacchaeus' desire for money was controlling his life just like, to be honest, it's controlling the lives of many people today. Tim Keller has written a book called Counterfeit Gods. And, and in that book, Tim Keller talks about how we make gods out of things that aren't gods. And, and these things that we make gods become our idols. And he says we do three things with those idols. We love our idols, we trust in our idols, and we serve our idols. 
But then he says, but we were created, we were designed by God to love God, to trust in God, and to serve God. And yet, what we have done is we've made these idols that we love, that we trust, that we serve. And one of the idols that, that many of us have in our lives today, and Zacchaeus had in his life back in Jesus' day, was money. Now, you may be saying, well, Rocky, I, I don't have money as an idol in my life. Well, let's just see. Let's just see if you love your money, you trust in your money, or, or you serve your money. First of all, do you love your money? Do you love your money? How can you tell? Well, if you love your money, that means you're happy, you're ecstatic when you have it. It means that you're sad, you're despondent when you don't. It means that you focus on it. It's on your mind a lot. How can I get more? It means that you work hard to protect it because you love it and you don't want anyone to take it from you. Those are some ways that we can tell whether we're beginning to love money. Now, here's what Paul said about the love of money in 1 Timothy 6. He said, because of a love for money, some have wandered from the faith. They've pierced themselves with many sorrows. It's a dangerous thing to love money. So that's one thing. And then if we've made money an idol, we trust in our money. In other words, we look to our money to give us a firm future. We look to our money to protect us as we move on in life, whether it be our 401K, whether it be some other retirement plan, whether it be the job that we have, but we tie our future to our money. Well, here's what the Bible says about, about that. In Proverbs 18, it says, The name of the Lord is a strong fortress. The godly run to him, and they're safe. But the rich think of their wealth as a strong defense. They imagine it to be a, a high wall of safety. In other words, if money is an idol, you're depending on your money to keep you safe in the difficult times of life. And and so if money is an idol or you struggle with that, then it's something that you look at for security in your life. And, and, and then there's the service of money. Do we serve money? Well, if we serve money, it means that we'll do almost anything to get it. And here's what the Bible says about that in Proverbs 23. It says, don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit. You see... I'm afraid that many of us today have money as, as an idol. We love it. We, we're happy when we've got it. We're sad when we don't. We trust it. It's, it's the money we have in the bank. It's the money that we have in our retirement plan that we're holding on to to protect us as we get old and gray and feeble, and we serve it. Man, we'll do anything, work hard, and even to the point of, of hurting our family. To get it. But here's the problem with money. It's never going to meet the deepest needs of your life. It never will. Here was Zacchaeus. He lived in the nicest home, wore the nicest clothes, ate the best food, took the good vacations. All of that's probably true. And yet something was missing. When Jesus came along, Zacchaeus wanted to see him. When Jesus came through Jericho, Zacchaeus wanted to get to know him. Now, 
Now, let me tell you what this isn't saying. It isn't saying that Zacchaeus didn't know about Jesus. He knew about Jesus. Everybody did. And Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Remember Matthew, a disciple? He was a tax collector. Remember what Matthew did in chapter 9 of Matthew? After he became a follower of Jesus, he threw a party. He invited all of his tax collector friends to the party so they could meet Jesus. I imagine Zacchaeus was invited to that party, but evidently he didn't go. But some of his other tax collector friends who went obviously had a life-changing encounter with Jesus like Matthew did. And they began to talk about Jesus. And, and I imagine Zacchaeus began to wonder. I wonder. I, I, I just wonder if this man Jesus can somehow feel the emptiness deep inside of me. I, I wonder if this man Jesus can, can somehow give me what my money has not been able to give me. And so Zacchaeus determined in his mind that he was going to see Jesus. Verses 3 and 4 says, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road. Now, when it says Zacchaeus was too short, it's not just saying that he was, you know, five foot two and just a little short. It means that he was short. It means that he was so short that when he walked by, people would look and then they would look again. They would take notice of his size. And you know how people are. People are cruel. When there's something different about someone, people make fun of it. And most likely, Zacchaeus had been made fun of. And here was this Zacchaeus who had been made fun of, people already despised, and now he wanted to get a glimpse of Jesus. So he tried to push through the crowd so he could get to the front because he couldn't see over anybody. But as he was trying to push his way to the front, people would see him, and they'd go, there's Zacchaeus. There's no way I'm letting him to the front to see. And I imagine that Zacchaeus got a couple of elbows to the face couple of kicks and other things and finally Zacchaeus gave up but he didn't give up because we're told that he ran ahead of everybody else he knew where Jesus was going he climbed up in a tree and he said nothing is going to keep me from seeing Jesus he was determined and let's stop there for just a second if we can because here's what I've come to believe some people never find Jesus because they're not really looking for Jesus. Have you met people like that? You share the hope that you have in Jesus. You share how Jesus has changed your life. And they say things like, well, I've tried that. It didn't work for me. But I'm here to tell you that if you really look for Jesus, you will find Jesus. I, I want you to listen to what the Bible says in, in Deuteronomy chapter 4. It says, if you seek the Lord your God, you will find him. If you look for him with all your heart and with all your soul. If you seek the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, you will find him. In Jeremiah 29 it says, you will seek me and find me when you seek for me with all your heart. You see, the Bible says that when we're really looking for Jesus, Jesus is going to show himself to us. Because the truth of the matter is, Jesus is seeking you out more than you're seeking him out. And so here's this greedy man who had everything the world had to offer, but the one thing he desperately needed. And so he wanted to find Jesus to see if Jesus could somehow meet that need in his life. 
And so the first point is a, a greedy man. Here's the next point. He meets a grace-filled God. L- listen to what it says. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I, I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down, took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He's gone to eat, to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Now, there are two things that really stand out to me. First of all, Jesus sees us no matter where we're at. Here was Zacchaeus up in a sycamore fig tree, but Jesus spotted him. That tells me that Jesus sees you no matter where you're at. You may be a teenager doing things you know are wrong. You may be a man that is sitting behind a computer screen looking at things you know you shouldn't look at. You may be a woman who is having an affair with a coworker. You may be a man who is embezzling money from your work. You may just be a father who isn't spending time with your kids like you need to. But Jesus sees you right where you are. And the amazing thing is he still loves you. He still loves you. So Jesus sees us where we are, and then he knows us no matter who we are. Now, don't miss the fact that Jesus called Zacchaeus by name. He knew just who Zacchaeus was, and there's no evidence. There's no evidence to show us that that Jesus had already met Zacchaeus. He just knew him, just like he knows you. He knows you, and he knows you, and he knows me. He knows us by name. And he not only knows us by name, he is calling for us. Just like he called for Zacchaeus. He says, Zacchaeus, get out of that tree. I'm going to go to your house today. Now, can you imagine me right here, right now, just pausing for a second, say, Billie Jean, I hope you got some good fried chicken cooked because I'm going to your and Randy's house for dinner today. Well, that's what Jesus did. Lunch wasn't planned. He just looked up. He saw Zacchaeus. He knew where Zacchaeus was. And he says, Zacchaeus, get out of that tree. I'm going home with you. Now, understand, this wasn't about just eating a meal. When you went to someone's home like this, it implied friendship. It implied intimacy. It implied relationship. Jesus was saying to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, I want a relationship with you. I want to get to know you. Now, notice how the people responded. They were ticked off. They were upset because Zacchaeus was a notorious sinner, and he was. I mean, don't don't think he wasn't. He was a notorious sinner. He didn't deserve for Jesus, God in the flesh, to come to his house to eat with him, and yet Jesus did. That's what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't look at you and say, hey, straighten up the house. Go buy some, go buy some prime rib. Cook it up really good. And then I want to come to your house. He says, no. Get out of the tree. I'm going home with you today. He takes us 
right where we are. No matter who we are, no matter what we've done. And so we see this greedy man who meets this grace-filled God. And all of a sudden, he becomes a generous man. Listen to what it, it says here. Meanwhile, have you ever been watching a TV show or a movie where, you know, you're watching one scene and all of a sudden it cuts from that scene to another scene that is taking place at the exact same time? That's, that's what we see here. You see, the people are over here and they're just grumbling and they're talking and for hours they're saying, I can't believe it. Jesus is in Zacchaeus' house. I mean, I deserve to have Jesus in my house. Zacchaeus doesn't. But meanwhile, Jesus is with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus stands before the Lord, probably after they ate, after they had talked. And he says, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I've cheated people in their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, wow. Salvation has come to this home today. One of the most selfish, greedy men in the city became the most generous man in the city immediately, instantaneously. And it was nothing short of a miracle. But that's what God does when he comes into our life. Now, the Old Testament law said that, that we were by law, required to give 10% of all that we owe to, to the temple to support the Lord's work. And, and then we were to give alms on top of that. Alms were money that we gave to help the poor. But Zacchaeus stood up to the Lord and said, Today, I'm giving 50% of everything I own to help the poor. And then he said, and if, and he had... <laughs> He said, and if I have robbed anyone, I'm going to pay them back four times as much. Now, the law in the book of Leviticus said that if you've cheated anyone, if you've robbed anyone, by law, you are required to pay them back plus 20%. And so if I rob you of $100, I've got to give you the $100 back and then 20%. So I've got to give you $120. But Zacchaeus said, I'm not going to do that. If I have cheated anyone, I'm giving them $400. I mean, immediately, instantaneously, on the spur of the moment, this man's life was radically changed. And Jesus said, today, salvation has come to this house. How did he know it? Because his view of money changed. You see, religion is all about rules. What do I have to do to get by? What does the law say that I have to give so that God isn't mad at me? Relationship says, God, in light of who you are and what you've done for me, it's yours. It's all yours. And Zacchaeus gave everything to the Lord. Zacchaeus' view of money was changed immediately. His view of God was changed immediately. Everything was changed immediately. Write this down. A changed heart will result 
and a changed perspective toward money. And this didn't happen through a sermon. I mean, Jesus didn't sit with him over dinner and say, okay, Zacchaeus, I'm going to start with Genesis, take you through Malachi, and show you every reference that God has said about money. Didn't do that. Jesus didn't take Zacchaeus through a quick tour of financial peace with Dave Ramsey. And all of a sudden, Zacchaeus' eyes were open. No. Zacchaeus' eyes were open because he experienced the grace of God. That's it. That's it. The grace of God changed everything. Here's what I know. Don't get mad. Don't get upset. But here's what I know. If I haven't been changed, I haven't been saved. And if my perspective of money hasn't been changed, I haven't been changed. And I haven't been saved. Zacchaeus was changed at the core. His perspective of money changed. And Jesus said, salvation has come to this house. And then Jesus said something. He said, the Son of Man, that was Jesus, said the Son of Man comes to seek and to save the lost. Zacchaeus. And the way he saves us is through letting us experience his grace. And when we do, what happened to Zacchaeus? What happened to us? You see, it really does all begin with God. An encounter with a grace-filled God really does change everything. So have you been changed? This isn't about money. This, this is about the core of who we are. This is about having a heart that's been touched and changed and made new through the power of God's grace. Have you been changed? If you haven't, and you want to be, I want to give you the opportunity. So would you bow your head? Would you close your eyes? If you're here and, and you know that the grace of God has never invaded your life to the point that you've been changed, transformed, made new, and you're ready to just turn over everything to him, then I want to encourage you right here, right now, to give your heart and life to Jesus by praying this prayer. Dear Jesus, I come to you this morning humbly asking you to forgive me. I am a sinner. I need your grace, your mercy. Forgive me. Jesus, I know you came to this earth. I know you died on a cross. I know you rose from the grave so that I could be changed from the inside out. Save me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. 
Make me brand new today, Jesus. Thank you for hearing my prayer. And with your head still bowed, your eyes still closed. If you're here today and you are a Christ follower and you know that you're a Christ follower, but generous would not be a word that could be used to describe you. Then I'm here to tell you right now that I believe with all my heart, the Holy Spirit is convicting you. Because God wants us to be generous. And so if you're here and you know Jesus, but you're not living in a way that is showing that His grace has invaded your life, you're not living a generous life, then I want to encourage you to pray a prayer similar to what I'm going to pray right now. I'm not asking you to pray this prayer. This is just what I'm going to pray. Father God, I come to you humbly acknowledging apart from you I am wretched. I don't deserve your grace and your mercy. I deserve hell. And Father, even with your grace and even with your Holy Spirit, I struggle with being selfish and self-centered. Oh, Lord God, I don't want to be. I want to be generous like Zacchaeus. Lord, I want my life to show to everyone that grace has invaded me. I pray your grace will so take hold that I become generous in every area of my life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. 